Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, and you're listening to The Better Off Podcast. On today's episode, best-selling author David Bach. We talk about the newest edition of The Automatic Millionaire and how it might change your life. And then I had this epiphany. I was like, I need to write a simple little book that you can read at an eighth grade level in less than an hour and a half. If I could write a little book that is so simple that anyone could use these techniques, I could really make a difference in the world. All that and more coming up next on the Better Off Podcast. Welcome to the first ever episode of the Better Off Podcast, sponsored by Betterment. I'm your host, Jill Schlesinger. This show is going to be a little different from the boring old financial program you may have heard in the past. This is going to be a bit more unconventional and more entertaining, some insights on your money and your life. Let me start by introducing myself. I am Jill Schlesinger. Uh, I am a trader turned investment advisor, financial planner turned journalist. And with all those different areas of my life, I've learned a lot about the financial world in general. Hopefully, I can distill important concepts, bring them to your life in a way that is actionable to you, in a way that makes sense to you, in a way that you say, oh, that's what that always meant. That's me. I'm your translator. Think of it that way. It's great. Whether you're a seasoned long-term investor or someone just starting the journey of managing complex issues that can arise in your life, just know that this show, that Better Off, is a show that is intended to help you reach your financial goals and objectives. So let me tell you how the show is going to work. In the first segment of the show, I'm going to give you a little bit of a recap of something interesting that happened in the previous week. It's not going to be market data, although today it might be just because it was the year end and sort of an interesting thing that occurred last year. In the second segment, I'm going to interview informative and entertaining guests, and hopefully we'll get some surprising insights and provide you with information that will help you make the most of your money. And the last segment is about you, your questions. So stay tuned at the end of the podcast. We'll give you lots of ways to get in touch with us. And then you can ask us what's burning inside of you, at least on the financial side. Now, normally, I wouldn't go talk about like what happened in the markets last week, because who cares? I mean, unless it's a huge event, a big upside or downside move. But I just want to point something out that's kind of instructive about being an investor and how 2016 taught us a lot of lessons. So let's look at the S&P 500 index, broad index of big U.S. companies. If you look at the index in the beginning of 2016, you might look at a big, steep decline. The first six weeks of the year were horrible. And, you know, I remember people were asking me, oh, my God, is this it? This is the big next move down. We finally got a correction where stocks corrected. They were down 10% from the previous highs. And then all of a sudden, we got these crazy conversations about it's going to be a recession and we're going into a bear market. It's going to be 20%. And all this chatter was going on. And really, it just was making people crazy because you and I know that since that time, there was no recession. There was no bear market which is not to say there won't be a bear market or a recession at some point in the future. Of course, there will be, but we don't know when it's going to happen. And so at any given time, when you're looking at your portfolio, you're checking into your retirement account, you're thinking about what's happening, you can really fall into a trap, an emotional trap of getting sucked in and doing something stupid with your portfolio. You can. It happens all the time. But what did 2016 show us is that by the end of 2016, 
If you did nothing but just invest in an S&P 500 index fund, that index, you held that index from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. If you reinvested your dividends, you made 12% on that position. Okay, it's just one position. But that's a far cry from selling something when you're panicky. And I think the lesson of 2016 is the lesson that we just have to bang home every single day as we think about our financial lives. You don't know what's going to happen in the market. Market timing just doesn't work. We know that over the long term, if you stick to a game plan with a diversified portfolio that's aligned with your goals and objectives, you're going to be okay. But if you start messing around with thinking about what's going to be the best or the worst asset class of this, that, and the other, why are you doing all that work? You know what? Going forward, you can't invest based on what happened in the past. You stick to what is in your game plan. You keep those expenses low. You minimize your tax hit. And you focus on the parts of your financial life that can really bring about a huge upside for you, that can make you better off. For our first show, there's a special interview segment. David Bach, author of The Automatic Millionaire. Now, I've had some issues with this dude. Let me be kind of clear about this because I don't think anyone becomes an automatic millionaire. But what I do believe, and he and I both agree on, is that if you automate as much of your financial life as possible, you are going to be better off. And that can mean automating your investing, your saving, your bill paying, all those things. But what I'm not so clear about and what I really do doubt in my very core is that not drinking a latte will make you an automatic millionaire. I just don't believe that. But that said, check out this interview with David Bach. Tell me what you think and be sure to give us feedback. So without further ado, here is my interview with David Bach on the first episode of Better Off. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. It is time for the interview segment with a very special guest, David Bach. He is the author of The Automatic Millionaire, the expanded and updated version. Welcome, David. Welcome. It's good to be on your show. Thanks for having me. He is here to talk about the newest edition of The Automatic Millionaire, which is expanded and updated, a powerful one-step plan to live and finish rich. You don't really mean rich. You probably mean you just want to kind of like improve your financial life. What, what was the basis for creating this book? Why'd you do this in the first place? Well, first of all, when, I don't know that I don't mean rich. I mean, the, the title is A Powerful One-Step Plan to Live and Finish Rich, right? Because I have a whole series of books out, Smart Women Finish Rich, Smart Couples Finish Rich, and Start Late, Finish Rich, all these books around finishing rich. And you open the book, and I always say, it's actually not about finishing. It's actually about living rich. And by the way, you don't have to be rich to live rich. Like, my whole belief system is money is just a tool to help free you to live your best self. The most important thing is is to take a look at your life and your values and what matters most to you right now and get honest with yourself. Like, this is what I really care about in my life. And then see if your financial behavior is in a disconnect with what matters most to you. Because if you're clear about your values... I promise you, if you're clear about your values, if, you have, if you've gone through what I call a values-based process where you look at, this is what is most important to me, and then you align the way you spend and invest your money with your values, you become unstoppable. Now, that has nothing to do with why I wrote The Automatic Millionaire, by the way. So when you were, what was the year that you first, uh, when it was first published? So The Automatic Millionaire was published in January of 2004. I actually launched the book on The Oprah Winfrey Show. 
This book came about because what would happen to me after I wrote Smart Women Finish Rich and after I wrote Smart Couples Finish Rich and the Finish Rich Workbook, and I would go all over the country doing speeches and book signings, people would still come up to me at the end of the speech and go, David, that was great, but I just want to know the one thing that I need to do. Just tell me the one thing I should do to be rich. Tell me, by the way, do you think I could even be rich? And I would find myself saying over and over again the same thing. And then I had this epiphany. I was like, you know, instead of getting frustrated, I should just solve this problem. I need to write a simple little book that you can read at an eighth grade level in less than an hour and a half where you can put the plan in place in less than an hour. If I could write a little book that is so simple that anyone could use these techniques... I could really make a difference in the world. And the premise, though, is grounded, actually, in behavioral finance to some extent, that that we as human beings have a hard time overcoming our emotions. And as a result, you've got to try to automate as much of your behavior as possible. It seems to me like you came up with that notion before it started gaining a lot of currency in the mainstream. I mean, in other words, you didn't call it, oh, I'm talking about behavioral finance or behavioral economist, e- economics, and you're not Daniel Kahneman. I know yeah. all that, but, but it is sort of the ultimate premise, isn't it? Let me go back to how the automatic millionaire came to be from the story part of it. Because what happened to me was I was a financial advisor at Morgan Stanley. I was teaching investment classes to retirees. I had grown my income from being out of college where it was zero, you know, to making $1,200 a month to making $50,000 a year, where at $50,000 a year I was still broke, where at $75,000 a year I was still broke, where at $100,000 a year, which I thought was the magic formula. Like if I could get to six figures in income, then I could start saving. And at that point, I'm a financial advisor and I'm teaching other people how to do retirement planning. And yet I'm still living paycheck to paycheck at $100,000 a year in income in my 20s. And I tell the story because it's the true story. I had a beautiful Jaguar. It was leased. I had a beautiful apartment. It was rented. And in one of my classes that I was teaching, a couple came up to me named Jim and Sue McIntyre, who this book is based on. And they said, we want to come in your office and we want to talk about retirement. And I said, when do you want to retire? And he said, on Friday. And it was Tuesday. (laughs) Okay. So I looked at them and I knew that Jim was only 52 because he had told me this. I also knew that they had had a very ordinary income because she was a beautician. He had a, you know, a mid-level management job. I knew he he had told me that year, I think he made $55,000. So I I literally was baffled. I'm like, these people are going to come into my office. They were so excited because I had motivated them so much. I thought this was going to be a terrible meeting. I didn't even want to do the meeting. And they came into my office hand in hand. He took this paper bag. He had all the stuff stuck in it. And he poured it out on the table. And he said, let's see if I can retire. And I kind of pushed back from the table. And I said, guys, before I even look at this pile of stuff, what makes you think you can afford to retire? Like, did I miss something here? Did you inherit some money? And he goes, no, let me show you what we've got. So I take out a yellow pad of paper. And I look at it. Well, he's got a home paid off. He's got a renter in it. He's got rental income. The home's worth about... I think it was like $300,000. You're opening the book. I'm doing this from memory. Mm-hmm. He had a home that he lived in that was paid off. Now, these guys lived in an area called San Leandro, California. He had over $750,000 in savings between his 401k plan and his investment accounts. As I'm adding this up on a yellow pad of paper and I've got my calculator, I look up and I'm like, you guys have almost $2 million and you have no debt. How is this possible? How did you do this? And I was, so, I was almost distraught, right? Because, again, I'm this guy who's thought, if I can make $100,000 a year, I'll start saving, and I wasn't. 
And I said, you guys have to tell me how you did this. And I kind of like, I said, I know you came here and interview me to be your advisor. I need to interview you. They thought I was kidding. I'm like, no, really. And they said, well, we just did everything you talked about in that class. I'm like, really? Like, like, yeah, all that stuff you talked about, pay yourself first, save money automatically. But you know, you talked about a bunch of stuff that doesn't work, like budgeting. And they started explaining to me why budgeting doesn't work and how they had thought about it. And at the end of 25 minutes, they laid out for me how they had put their entire plan on autopilot, how they paid themselves first automatically, how they paid their home down early automatically, how they had saved for college automatically. They're like, we just automated everything. We took the discipline out of it. And I knew that that was what worked because I knew as a financial advisor, the only clients I had that were successful financially who had come into my office with wealth, they had all saved money automatically. Yeah, so the automation, obviously, and habit forming is so much easier than trying to do it in an ad hoc way and think about it after. So you're saying automate it. But I want to push back on one thing, the pay off the house thing. Because what is the premise of that if you've got a three and a quarter percent mortgage? So you've been a financial advisor. Correct. And what I saw first, see, this is the beauty of being a financial advisor is that it's not theory, right? Like most people who write these books and do these shows they they like read it somewhere like online and then they write about it. It's so annoying. Mm. In the re- right, don't you hate this? <laughs> this it, is my fight with financial journalists. I, but okay, I hate it. I mean, it just, it just drives me crazy. Here's what I saw in the real world. Again, when I left Morgan Stanley, we had over seven hundred and fifty million dollars in our management. The Bach Group today manages a billion dollars. My sister now runs it. She's one of the largest female financial advisors in the country. We got to get her on the show. Uh, you should get her on the show. Um, here's what I saw in my career, How, I, and I grew up in this business because my dad was in this business. The clients that came into my office, like the McIntyres, they were really extreme because they retired in their early 50s. But the clients who came into my office that would retire typically what I would call their late 50s, which is now that I'm 50, I realize how young that is. Clients who could retire in their late 50s easily or even early 60s, the common denominator among all of them, like 90% of them, was that they had no debt. Okay. That their home was paid off. So, But you would argue that there's good debt and bad debt, eh? You know, I used to until the recession. I think the debt is just debt. And, you know, some debt is worse than others. Credit card debt, 20% is much worse than a mortgage at 3%. Look, I have a mortgage on my home. My mortgage rate is 2.85%. Why do I carry a mortgage? Because I'm, I'm, I'm confident in my investment abilities that I can outperform 2.85%. Do I think the average investor out there can necessarily outperform 2.85%? It depends. I think this, this most, and by the way, most people's rates are not that low. So if your mortgage is 4% and you want a guaranteed rate of return and a guaranteed way to retire sooner, paying your home off faster is a guaranteed way to get there. However, you would say that if you feel confident enough in you or your investment advisor's abilities to generate more after tax, because we got to do the after tax, after fees, after tax, than your current mortgage, then you could you could live with carrying a mortgage because you yourself are doing it, right? You know, it's funny. I, I want to say yes, and yet it's yes for such a small percentage of the population. 47% of Americans right now, according to the Federal Reserve, have le- can't get their hands on $400 in case of emergency. Right. The average baby boomer has $25,000 in savings. When you look at, and this is another thing about home ownership. People say, oh, home ownership doesn't work. The fact of the matter is about 60, 70% of Americans' net worth is in their house. So when you look at people who lost their home during the last great bubble, why did they lose their house? They didn't have enough equity in their home. Many cases, they had refinanced their home to pay off credit card debt. Paying your home down early is, you know, a boring approach 
to being conservatively financially free. Okay. I can buy into that. I get that. So I want to go into like the thing that sort of made you sort of famous-ish, not just mm-hmm. you, but this idea of the, the latte and if you cut out these extraneous expenses in your life, that's good. But the wait, way wait, wait, wait. First of all, we have to call it what it is. It's, not called the, it's called the latte factor. The latte factor. And, and let's be honest here. It definitely made me famous. No. Okay, okay, okay. No. The now, latte factor is this metaphor that we waste small amounts of money on little things. And then if we redirect that $5 a day or $10 a day, or for some people it's $20 a day or $100 a day, whatever your latte factor is, if you redirect it towards paying down your debt or paying yourself first or both, you can change your entire financial life forever. How Okay, so I get that, and I like getting rid of the little things. By the way, we're sitting in a, in a studio right now, and there are three lattes sitting no, on the table. No, mine's a regular coffee. Okay, so that Thanks. was at least three bucks, and we have bottled water. So on this countertop right now, we have one, two, three, four, five. We have like $20 worth of lattes and bottled water sitting on the countertop. Now, I didn't have to buy the water because right. you guys gave it to me. Right, and I bought Mark his <laughs> latte because he's the best producer in the world. Um, Mark's got two, by the way. They're, no, one's not his. Is one from yesterday? No, one is someone else's. So one's from the, uh, the previous <laughs> podcast. So I understand the premise, right? We cut out our extraneous things. However, I'm going to read a quote for you. Um, I'm wondering how you want to respond to this, that are you, you're using this as a metaphor, but is it also on the flip side? Is there a negative to this? In other words, people are not living paycheck to paycheck because they're buying lattes. In other words, people are living paycheck to paycheck in many cases because something bad happened to them or that middle-class wages are stuck. So it can't be that. Do you that, know what I'm saying? Like, the, well, look, I, there, there's a whole, you know, woe is me. Are, there, look, there are some people who are broke. Right. That's what I mean. I mean, okay. well, you're not suggesting but, that person well, is. But, but here's, come on, look, here's the reality. Some people, no, they, ha- they don't have a dime. Some people make $15,000 a year and their lattes are not their problem. Right. Okay. But let's go to the real world. Four and a half million people today will go to Starbucks. Okay. Tens of millions of people buy packs of cigarettes. Every day. Lottery tickets. More money goes into lottery tickets than retirement accounts. I mean, I can go on and on and on. Apple is predicted to sell 123 million iPhone 8s next year. Those phones will cost six, seven, eight hundred dollars You know, that's what they're talking about. People wake up and they get in line at 1 in the morning to buy the new iPhone. And I guarantee you, if you went through those lines, there are people in those lines living paycheck to paycheck. And they can tell you that they don't use a retirement account because they don't have enough money to save. And they are buying the brand new iPhone the moment it comes out and the new iPhone headset and the earphones and they're broke. Okay, so, you know, people want to put all the latte factor, you know, in in 30 years, a million dollars won't be worth anything. It's worth a whole lot more than zero if you're on track for zero. Oh, but what about inflation? But I get that. I just want to make sure that we're on the same page, that there's a whole bunch of people who might listen to this who are like, you know what? Uh, I mean, yeah, I shouldn't have the latte. I can afford it. And then there's a whole bunch of people who are like, you know what? Something bad happened to me and the latte ain't the thing that's gotten me in trouble. If they're listening to you and they're listening to you on a podcast, then they're listening to you on an iPad, a computer, or an iPhone, probably. Right. Right? Yeah. So are they really broke? No, but I guess I feel I'm worried that you sort of entered this by saying, you know, 47% of people who have don't have an emergency savings, which I get. But, you know, I think there's like a larger societal issue, which we just learned from this campaign that has less to do about like what's happening with a latte and more to do with 
that wages have been stuck for 30 years. So I agree with you. So let me just say, let me yeah. put that that way. That I, I, I agree I that, that we shouldn't be spending in a profligate way, but I also don't want to make it seem like if you don't have your latte, you're going to be a millionaire because I think that's baloney. Well, it is baloney because, first of all, if you don't have your latte and you don't take the money and actually redirect it towards savings, you won't have anything. So that's you know one of the reasons I, I updated the Automatic Millionaire book. I love this fiery now podcast we're doing here. <laughs> I updated this book because, first of all, it was 10 years old. All the tax laws have changed. The investment accounts have changed. But the biggest thing that's changed is technology. So technology in the financial service industry has made it possible now that you can literally invest with a dollar a day. It wasn't possible 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, it is now you can open up your phone, you can click a few buttons, you can get on a website, and you can have an account open in five minutes, and you can be investing with a dollar a day. That is revolutionary. It is, we are now at a point where the friction of anyone being an investor is gone. And that's what made me say, okay, I've got to put the automatic millionaire because really who I want to reach are millennials. I want to get the younger generation because they're the ones who can most easily use this program. The automatic millionaire really shows you, you start in your 20s, it's so easy. You know, when you get to be, well, I always say, at 20 you hear about money, at 30 you start to think about it, at 40 you worry about it, and at 50 you hyperventilate. Now, by the way, if you're 50 and you're hyperventilating, I would tell you that you're going to live to be 100 now, so you've got a lot more time on your hands, so 50's not too late. Time well, is on your side, Time actually. is on your side. I'm about to do a class with Create It Live called Start Late, Finish Rich. I'll put a plug in there. We're going to do it on January 19th. It's free. It's going to be all day long, and that's on Create It Live. They can find it on our website at davidbach.com. Um, I am just simply on a crusade. To hear, you know, here's the truth about all this, because I've been doing this now for since, 19, since 1993. Everything that I teach should have been taught in school. Well, you think that financial literacy would make people be like less dopey about their money? I don't agree. I actually oh, think that they, I think they know about enough. They know that they're being idiots Jill, and they just Jill, can't the, stop Jill, themselves. They don't know about this. You, you've been a financial advisor. People do not know. Most people don't even know what pay yourself first means. You know, we're, we're working to, on a, t I mean, I did this whole show on Oprah. When we sat on Oprah and said, you know, you need to pay yourself first. And we got the audience saying it. But you don't think they understand that since the financial crisis that like, I mean, I'm saying that I get that in 1993, wages are rising. People are feeling good. I'm just saying that here we are these years later, right? We're, you know, 23, 24 years later. And now what I guess I'm asking you is that it's sort of like, why does the diet and exercise industry exist? People kind of know they got to eat less and exercise more, right? That generally speaking. And I think that we all know that. But why is it so hard to get our butts to the gym and do it? And, and you, you know, that, first of all, that's yes and no. People in the last 20 to 30 years have become obese in this country because the food industry has thrown us into a world of sugar and processed foods that are making Americans fatter. Okay, so what's the, what's the equivalent of, of processed foods and sugar in the financial services industry? The, the financial industry? service industry is set up to basically separate you from your wealth unless you're smart with your money. I mean, here's an example of what we don't talk about right now. And it's just starting to be discussed by the Federal Reserve. There has been a record-breaking amount of people who have gone out and bought cars. The level of car loan defaults right now is starting to be staggering. I think the last thing I read was 6%. It's like the mortgage industry. People who went from doing crappy mortgages to then doing crappy loans for cars. The sad thing is tens of millions of people don't understand their paperwork. They go into a car dealership. They get brutally taken advantage of. They sign up for loans that they can't afford. Now, where does the breakdown happen? Because they weren't educated on the basics of personal financial planning. I hope one thing Trump does, if anybody could pull this off, it would be Trump. 
I believe, and I'll go back to the Automatic Millionaire book, this book, you shouldn't be able to get out of eighth grade and not know what's in this book. Certainly by high school, it should be mandatory. You should know the magic of compound interest, the power of paying yourself first, the need to save money automatically, how deadly credit cards can be if you have interest. These things should be taught in school. I hope that President Trump will push forward a financial literacy requirement in the school system. This is Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. We're going to get back to this interview in just a second, but just a moment here where we can actually start to figure out how to make your life better off. One way to do so, stop driving yourself crazy about investing. I've been in the financial services industry for nearly 30 years. I started as a trader and then I became a certified financial planner. And through all those years, I've seen so many different approaches to investing, so many people thinking they have the answer, and very few are willing to admit that it is the passive approach to investing that makes the most sense. That's why I'm so happy that Betterment is the sponsor of this podcast, because they really do walk the walk and talk the talk. Betterment relies on time-tested investing principles. Basically, they know that based on the data, there is no consistent way to beat the market over the long term with active trading. And they apply those principles with transparency and ease of use. They use great technology and they focus on keeping your fees and your taxes lower. That's so much more important than figuring out how you're going to beat the market. Because guess what? You're not going to beat the market. And here's something you might find a bit refreshing. Betterment actually cares that you reach your financial goals. And that's why they keep their fees so low. See how Betterment can help you today. Better Off listeners can get one month managed for free. For more information, visit Betterment.com slash Better Off. See, that wasn't so bad. Now back to our interview. Okay, so let's presume we're all financially literate. We still have the same emotional problem, which is we are human beings. We are lured into doing things that aren't necessarily so good for us. And so let me get back to your premise, which is you've got to automate it in order to kind of bypass your human wiring. That, like, Because in my mind, the biggest problem that I would have with clients and even when I just talk to people is that even when they do know the right thing to do, they're not doing it. So the more that we can automate it, the more they're going to do the right thing. I wish I could pre-program myself to just like automatically get myself to the gym. Well, you said something in the beginning of the show that I, I just flew right past, which was things really changed. Like, so automatic investing, barely like people never talked about automatic investing when I put the automatic millionaire out. And I would always say, you know, the single most important decision you make is decide to pay yourself first one hour a day of your income automatically. So that from if you get to work at nine, from nine to 10, that hour a day of your income should automatically be moved into a 401k plan or a 403b plan. That that one decision would change your life forever. And that the average American saves less than 15 minutes a day of their income. Well, I start saying, you know, if 401k plans were automated, and people were automatically enrolled, it would change the game of saving in America. Well, in the last 10 years, And this is the only reason they did it was because of liability issues, because the companies were doing no financial education. So they in order to cover their asses, they basically put in automatic enrollment. They put in an automatic enrollment default. But in most cases, the companies that did that 
first of all, the good news is that when they did it, savings rates have gone way up, up right. way up in America. Like it's been the single biggest thing that has changed savings in America has been the automatic enrollment in 401k plans. The disappointing or bummer part of it is that the automatic enrollment default on most companies is 3%, which means that you're basically saving a quarter of what you need to save. Now, some of these plans have an automatic bump-up feature. Mm -hmm. That auto-escalate is great. The auto-escalate, which you can increase at 1% a year or you can increase at 1% every six months. The auto, and when people turn on the auto-escalate feature, their savings rates triple Within 36 months. That's awesome. And on average, people who've done automatic escalation, their savings rate's 9%. But then again, we have a little bit of an issue here because we don't have every single American who has a 401k plan. And I thought, I think the most interesting development on the retirement landscape that, and, and I'm interested in your feedback, is this concept about how states are trying to foster retirement savings for smaller companies that really don't have 401ks, don't, can't afford it. It's not a state plan. So don't hear this and think that your state's going and spending a bunch of money, but it's really just a way to kind of get the smaller employers help with creating a plan that can get the their employees automatically invested. Yeah. Look, anything that we can do to get people to make it easier for people to save, I think is a good thing. With that being said, I don't think we necessarily need the states involved. I think at this point, technology has made 401k plans really available to almost any size company. If you don't have a 401k plan, then go open up an IRA account. But again, that requires one extra step, right? Because it's, and I get it. I know that like, that's a say, you know, you think, oh, it's open an IRA. What's a big deal? But any, uh, my theory is anything that can automate it makes it better and allow once that's automated, you can take care of all the other issues in your financial life because obviously there's plenty of them. And the reality is that if you're getting like 10, 15, 18 percent of putting away into your savings plan, then all of a sudden you get your head up out of the sand and start saying, uh oh, uh, now what else do I have to do? My-? So what after we get their automatic savings in our last couple of minutes? Give me the three things that you think are the most important things that we need to do to help everyone be more financially prudent. So I will repeat myself. I'll say, number one, you have to pay yourself first automatically one hour a day of your income. That's number one. Number two, you actually, if you don't believe you should save, you should look at your latte factor. You should take a week, track your expenses, see where all the money is going. I go use a website like mint.com, run everything through it. Really look at where your money is going. Um, for many people, like I, I'm never going to give up my coffee. I'll, I'll go buy a coffee. Right, today. you're just saying that's your choice. You it's, could spend it, your money elsewhere. Yeah, just look at where the money is going. And one of the fastest ways to cut back on your expenses is to look at who you've already started automatically paying. Because since I wrote the book, everybody's business model now is to get residualized income, which means they tap you for your credit card. And whether it's $5 a month or $10 a month or $15 a month, People have attached themselves to your paycheck automatically, and you've got money going everywhere to other people. So go through your expenses and look at who am I automatically paying that I actually don't actually have to use, and get them off your payroll, and then redirect that money to yourself. If you have a home, go look into a biweekly mortgage payment plan. You can go back to the mortgage company, you can go back to your bank and say, hey, can I cut this payment in half every two weeks and pay that mortgage down faster, calculate the math. You'll see it's going to save you probably $50,000 on average. Some people will save them six figures. Unless you're confident enough that you can beat your mortgage rate Unless you're handily. confident enough you can beat your mortgage rate handily. If your average rate is 4%, I don't know that you can confidently beat that handily. You know, it's not some, he, look, we've well, had, not last year or one year, but over time, you're saying. And I'll get the last tip here is realistically in the next 12 months, you're going to see a market turn down. 
I don't know when it's coming, but we're seven and a half years into the greatest bull market of, of my lifetime. We're seven and a half years straight up with virtually no pullbacks. Uh, market pullbacks happen. You will see a pullback of 10, 15, 20%. When it happens, don't panic. Stay the course. It is time in the market. It's not timing the market. Building wealth takes decades. It does not happen in days. And what I would say to you is when these markets turn down, turn off the news. Don't watch these shows. They're trying to scare you. Don't make reactions. And if anything, look for what's on sale. If you have more than a quarter of a million dollars, then it's time to hire a financial advisor. Get a fiduciary who can help you. And that can make all the difference in the world when it comes to retirement planning. Okay. I have one question to end this interview with. First of all, let me do these two questions. It's been kind of fun, right? It's not like, I mean, I'm not Oprah, totally. but like, whatevs, you know, hey, I, work I, with, I work with Oprah's best friends, so that's kind of cool. Hey, how often do I get to start an interview with, you walk into the studio and the host says, boy, I don't want you to take this wrong, but you're actually better looking in real life than in your pictures. Right? That's kind of nice. Okay. What's the worst money or career mistake you have made? Well... Boy, what is the worst money mistake I've made? Um, I've made so many, right? Like you sit there and you think about, even with as well as I've done, the, it almost always comes back to something I sold that now has gone up even higher, right? Like I could go through different stocks that I made money on and sold and then they skyrocketed. So usually it's been selling something and not just holding on to it. I mean, actually always, including real estate. But if I were going to go to a specific mistake, the one that's the most painful that really shaped me as a person, it's getting in credit card debt in college. Because my hole that I dug for myself in college by spending money on things that I did not need to show off to friends that did not care was a life-changing moment because I was at $1.5,000 in credit card debt as a sophomore, which felt like the entire world was on my shoulders. And by the time I got that paid off, I was then so proud of myself, I did it all over again. And by my senior year, I was $12,000 in credit card debt took me another 18 months to pay that off. I will never forget the feeling of not being able to make minimum payments and going to open my credit cards and the room spinning from financial pressure on me. And that moment ultimately changed my life because after I got out of credit card debt that time around, I've never carried credit card debt since. And I think really I'm a conservative investor. That experience of being in debt and also the experience of seeing things happen to people who took too much financial risk and got hurt led me to candidly be pretty conservative. I'm a guy that looks for singles and not home runs. David Bach, author of The Automatic Millionaire, the expanded and updated version. Thank you so much for joining us on Better Off. Thank you so much. And guys, come by and visit me, davidbach.com. Come say hi. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. It's time for the Better Off listener question of the week. If you need a second set of eyes on something you've been thinking about, there are a couple ways to reach us. You can use Twitter at Jill on Money is my handle. Just use the hashtag better off. You can also send us an email, askjill at betteroffpodcast.com. This week, we have an email from John. Okay, it's resolution time. I know I should do it, but I don't really know where to start. So help me with my financial resolutions. You know, I presume that you're listening to the program, you got sort of the big three covered, you know, no consumer debt, adequate emergency reserves, and you're maxing out your retirement account. I think the thing that you now need to do as you consider what you want to achieve is to go the next step and think about, you know, have I done the other to-dos? Do I have my estate documents up to date, right? I mean, a lot of people, you got your estate documents, they were done 20 years ago or 10 years ago. 
Have you reviewed your insurance coverage, your life, your disability, property and casualty? Uh, Are you taking advantage of all of your employee-based benefits that are available to you? Now, I presume you got all that done, right? What comes next is really up to you. Do you want to buy a second home this year? Do you want to be able to fund your kids' 529 plans? Are you trying to aim for early retirement? Do you think about caring for your aging parents? Look, these are questions, right? I don't have the answers. To me, unless you're willing to actually sit down and contemplate these answers, you're going to fail at these resolutions, which, hello, that's why, you know, basically 90% of people who make resolutions just abandon the project. Don't make too many. But if you're talking about resolutions, maybe your biggest resolution should be set aside time to really think about my goals and objectives for the coming year, and then maybe a couple of longer-term plans. That's it. Don't go nutty. Don't do 25 things. It's not the Harvard Business School study of your financial life. The reason we like to make resolutions and we like to turn the page is that we are goal-oriented in many ways. But that said, John, it's time for you to do some hard work. Think about these questions and If you come back and say, I've got these questions, I know what my goals are, then give us a shout as a follow-up, and let's see if we can help you achieve them. Okay, that's another episode of the Better Off Podcast in the books. I want to thank best-selling author David Bach for joining us. Don't forget, there's a new episode of the Better Off Podcast every Thursday. You can subscribe via iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Jill on Money. That's at Jill on Money. Just use the hashtag BetterOff. You can also reach me via email. Ask Jill at BetterOffPodcast.com. And if you wouldn't mind, please leave us a review or a rating in iTunes. It really will help us out. BetterOff is sponsored by Betterment. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Delercio produces. I'm Jill Schlesinger. See you next week.